Welcome to the First Prez Podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. Our services are Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Prez at firstprezcos.org. So Tim left me this baton in my box this week as he's headed off to Cuba. Um, I'm finishing our Good Job series today, and he probably wanted to remind me to do a good job as I did that. So today we end our Good Job series. It's been a fun several weeks together talking about the work that we do in this world. I hope it's been um, good for your soul to dig into Scripture, to look at the ways that God is calling us to give glory to Him in the work that we do in the world. Every day we wake up in this world and we find ourselves at work. Every day we are making our contribution, whether we're a student or an intern or an employee of an organization, um, an athlete, a stay-at-home parent, maybe in a season of retirement, we get the privilege of helping shape the world for the glory of God and to do the good work that God calls us to in this place. So our scripture today is Titus 3, verses 1 through 8. We've looked at Titus a couple times um, during this series, and so now for this final sermon, we go back to Titus, the last chapter um, in chapter 3. You remember, perhaps, that Paul has left Titus behind in Crete to continue the church planting work that they had done together. And Paul writes this letter to Titus, I think in many ways, saying, good job, Titus, keep up the good work, for God is at work in the church in Crete. So let's listen to God's word, Titus 3, verses 1 through 8. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that as your word comes to us, that that you would plant it deeply into our hearts, that you might grow fruit from what you speak to us. Lord, you have a message for each of us today straight from your word. We want to be able to to hear what it is you are saying today, Jesus. So open our hearts and our minds as we listen to the voice of your spirit. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. So I wanna start with a question for you. Do you remember what you wanted to be when you grew up? When you think back, I know some of you are still working on growing up, that's okay. Um, But do you remember when you were little, what did you wanna be when you grew up? Now, show of hands, how many of you are actually doing the work that you wanted to do when you were little? How many did that come true for? Okay, just a handful, just a couple, yeah. Good, I love that we ask this question 
um, to our younger, our younger kiddos um, to see what they are thinking and what they're striving for and what's going on in their imaginations. At our home, there's been various times where our kids have wanted to be a rock star, a video game programmer, a veterinarian, a teacher, fun stuff. I think that we, our, our kids um, imagine what they want to be by, based on the things that they see around them. But here's a couple examples of some fun things other kids are hoping to be when they grow up. When I grow up, I'm seven, I want to be eight. Ah, that was a good goal. That was a great goal. When I grow up, I want to be a mailbox. Of course. When I grow up, I want to be an artist. The reason is so I can teach children to expire themselves. <laughs> that is great. I love that. Um, Fatherly did a, a survey just a few years ago, top five professions boys and girls want to be when they grow up. Interesting, but what our kids are, are looking and striving to be, what's going on in their imaginations. And again, I think they strive to want to be um, things that they see, what they see around them. I wanted to be a marine biologist when I was young because I love the ocean. I thought that would be the perfect, the perfect job for me to get to spend time on the ocean. Well, Scripture points us to the reality that the work that we end up doing, the work that we do, is not nearly as important as who we are becoming in the work that we do. We don't know much about the jobs that the Christians in Titus's church had in Crete. We don't, we don't exactly know what the jobs were that they went to each day, but we do know that Paul wrote to them to be faithful to the Lord in all that they did. They were to be responsible and engaged citizens, kind and generous people in everything. And Paul instructs Titus throughout the letter that those who follow Christ are to do good work, to be involved in the doing of good. And as we get to this last chapter, chapter 3, Paul returns to this idea again in three different times. He, he gives that idea again back to Titus. Verse 1, be ready to do what is good. Verse 8, devote yourselves to doing what is good. And then circles back in verse 14 and says the exact same thing. What Paul writes here is echoed in other places where he writes Ephesians 2.10. You remember perhaps, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. But as Paul closes this letter, and we close our Good Job series today, um, Paul is giving one big reminder to Titus, and it's this. Trusting Christ comes first. Our primary work in this world is to trust Jesus and to trust his work in our world and in our lives. Our first call is to give ourselves to the Lord daily, to nurture relationship with him. In verse um, 8, Paul writes, I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God, those who have given their trust to God, may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Trust Christ first. Out of that place then, out of that place of trust flows a commitment to doing God's work in the world, to doing good, to doing a good job, and working for the glory of God. Christ first, our work second, and all that that entails. If we get those backwards, we risk living out of a place where we believe that God loves us because of the good work or the good job that we do. And that, as you know, is a very dark place to live because we can never do enough to earn God's pleasure 
with what we do. Amen? So we got to keep those in the right order. Trust Christ first. You can write that. If that's all you're writing down today, write those three words. Trust Christ first. That's the heart of the message. But there are several things that Paul is calling us to in this chapter that we want to look at. But as we look at this, this section of Scripture, I'm going to point us to where the weightiness, the anchor, the rootedness of this chapter is. And I want to start there. It's in verse 4. I want to start there because everything else makes sense when we get get this under our belts. Verse 4, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And Paul follows it up by saying, this is a trustworthy saying, meaning that this is a statement worth going back to again and again to be reminded of God's work in your life and how he has reached out to you and loves you. If we simply work our way just through the pronouns of, the, of that statement, I think it begins to become clear. Listen to this. When the kindness and love of God appeared... He saved us because of his mercy. He saved us by the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. He poured out the Spirit. We are justified by his grace. Do you hear that? Salvation is God's work and God's work alone. The only thing this little statement says about us is that there is nothing righteous that you have done or will do that will earn you God's favor and salvation. God's saving work is all his, done by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together. Good news, good work, God, thank you for that. If you ever find yourself lost in your day, lost in your work, wondering why am I doing what I'm doing, Paul is saying this is a trustworthy statement to go back to. Mark it in your Bible, flag it, write it somewhere, you can trust what is said in this statement. Trust Christ first. Christ saved us. So as I've been studying this particular part of the passage, I keep coming back to how Paul opens this little creed that he writes. And I'm, I'm drawn immensely to this phrase, the kindness of God. And what I believe God wants me to talk mostly about today with us um, is the ocean and never-ending flood of God's kindness that he has for you. Do you know God's kindness today? Do you know that he loves you, that he is, has goodness for you, and that he is kind for you? Some in this room, I someone in this room, I believe, needs to hear that because I keep getting that back from the Lord. Talk about my kindness. We need to know God's kindness. Paul doubles down right here on God's kindness. He's clear in his writing that it's God's kindness that thaws our frozen hearts, that softens our hardened hearts. It's God's kindness that finds us and picks us up and draws us into relationship with him and begins to do its work in our hardened hearts. Um, there seems to be a desperation right now for kindness in our world. We seem to be struggling with the practice of kindness. Um, I, I mean, as a big, as a big culture. 
Um, it's, in, it's important, I think, to read or to understand that as we read Titus, it looks like the Cretans also had trouble with kindness. This is not a new struggle. This is an ongoing struggle. Um, in the ancient world, they struggled in that place too. So can we all just be kinder to one another, right? I, and I guess the answer is yes, of course, we should be kinder. That's a good thing. We should be kind. I learned last week that February 17th is now officially Random Act of Kindness Day. Um, don't worry if you missed it. It'll come around again in a year. So you can prepare for what kind things you want to do next year. Um, but I guess we have to have a day of kindness now named um, for us to kind of sit back and think about what, what kindness do I want to do today. But I might have a little skepticism here because I'm not actually sure that one can make themselves kind. Can we do kind things? Yes, we should, of course, yes, we can do kind things. But become a kind person, that's a tough one. Having a heart that is kind and loving and good and other-centered, I'm not sure I have the power within myself to make that happen in my heart. Scripture teaches us that we cannot heal ourselves. And Pastor Tim has talked over and over about the hardest thing in the world to change is the human heart. Kindness. I came across a story recently about an orchestra in Budapest um, and, a, and the, vision, the great vision of its conductor who had this picture of wanting to, to um, gather all of the hearing-impaired people in his city to experience and enjoy um, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. Now, Beethoven lost, or his hearing began to disintegrate as he got older. Um, he composed the Fifth Symphony when his hearing was already pretty far gone. Later in his life, while he was composing, he would, he would feel the vibrations of the keys as he composed music to know what he was composing because he could no longer hear the music. And so conductor Mate Hamori wanted to give those in his community who were hearing impaired, much like Beethoven, an experience and an opportunity to enjoy Beethoven's music. So he brought together all the hearing, well, I don't know if it's all, but a lot of hearing impaired people in Budapest for this unusual experience of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. And as they came in, he seated many of them right next to the instruments and musicians, and they put their hands on the on the instruments so they could feel the vibrations of the music. And others were given balloons because balloons help you feel, can help you feel the vibrations in the room. Others were given um, extra sensitive hearing aids to put in so that they could hear the music. But they were all able to feel and thus enjoy Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, much like Beethoven himself would have had to feel it later in his life. And I thought, what an amazing gesture of kindness of this conductor, that he would think about this, that he would put this together and invite those who, who we just assume might not be able to enjoy music to come and find an experience so enjoyable. It reminds me of a God who is moved by kindness and grace to reach across a chasm that is so deep between us and him and close that gap for us, that we might enjoy life and light and love and a little taste of heaven on earth. Paul writes a great deal about the kindness of God. In Romans um, 2, 4, Paul reminds the church 
that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, softens us and leads us to repentance. The love of God is patient and kind, he tells the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 13, 4, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. We don't have quite the English word in our language. It captures the meaning of this word that we translate kindness um, in the scripture. In other versions, it's translated loving kindness or the riches of God's love and kindness, goodness and kindness. There is a divine quality to this kindness. It doesn't run out. It's a loving kindness that the spirit gives and it's the fruit of a spirit-filled life, this quality of kindness. God's love is woven then from threads of kindness and goodness. And the indication here is that there is an endless well or pool or fountain of God's kindness that is poured out by the Spirit. And as it's poured into our lives, as we experience the kindness of God, it causes us to run away from sin and destructive living and to sprint towards God that we might be closer to him. Do you know God's kindness toward you today? Do you know as you sit here how much he loves you and how much goodness he has toward you? I get the privilege, along with some of our elders, of hearing the faith stories of our new members who come into fellowship with our, um, with our church. And um, today, just a little bit ago, a whole a class of new members got to tell their faith stories this morning um, to their small groups and they got to share about their testimonies. And it's one of the most precious things that I think I get to do in this church is to listen to the stories of God's kindness and to be reminded of how God reaches in in so many different ways to find those um, who are far away and draw them near. Um, maybe we need to tell our stories a little more often to each other. Um, it's good, I think, to experience sharing our faith testimony every now and then, just to remember those early days of God's kindness and goodness flooding into our lives like an ocean, those first days that we first felt freedom from what Paul talks about of um, malice um, and envy and addiction to false passion, hatred and deception in verse 3, to remind ourselves of how God's kindness and love reached out into those places and we began to be free from all of that. Perhaps today is a good day um, to tell your story, to write your story out, to hear about somebody else's story and let that ocean of God's kindness flood over you. My family moved to Colorado Springs when I was three years old and at four years old, I gave my life to Christ right here in this church. And I remember growing up, the kindness that I experienced from so many um, in this church, those who were um, Sunday school teachers in, in my um, children's Sunday school, those who were youth group leaders as I got older. Um, they helped me, yes, uh, maybe see a way, uh, the kind of work I might do when I get older, but even more importantly than that, they faithfully taught me about trusting Christ how to put my trust in Christ and what that looks like. Titus talks about in the letter, or Paul talks about in this letter earlier, how older men and women are to be pouring into and modeling for the younger boys and girls in their church um, the kindness and love of God. One generation is to tell the next, to pour into the next, 
um, the whole life of faith to our young ones. So I hope that you have someone older than you who is pouring that kind of love and grace into your life. And I hope that you have identified somebody younger than you who you are faithfully pouring into their lives, God's kindness and grace. So let's quickly finish the rest of this passage, and I think it'll become clear why we had to start here um, in order to get to the rest of the things that Paul says. Because apart from Christ, we end up operating on our own strength. We've got to know that the strength of Christ, the kindness of Christ, is what we operate on as, as Paul gives instructions about how they're to live. So we move back a little bit further to verse 2, and we find a tall order being given to Titus. Um, that he is supposed to remind them as Christians to slander no one, be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle toward everyone. He uses these words always, everyone, no one, no exceptions. This is how we are to be with others. And those commands are linked to our civic life in the verse right before it, verse 1. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. Paul is not just talking about being kind and considerate, and generous to those in the church, but also to those in the city where they live, in Crete. This is how we are with people that we live with. Be kind and considerate and gentle. The historian Polybius writes a little bit about the civic life in Crete at the time. Perhaps it's a little instructive for us. But he writes, it was almost impossible to find personal conduct more treacherous or public policy more unjust than in Crete. Even so, Paul reminds them that they are not off the hook for treating their fellow citizens with gentleness and consideration. Yes, Jesus is Lord over all and our allegiance is to him, but we are part of a city. And while we do not participate in evil, we are not off the hook from being subject to the rulers and authorities over us. We are to be engaged, kind people, citizens. I was thinking about how followers of Jesus in every nation have to wrestle with us. Everyone has a different form of government. And, and Christians in different countries have to consider faithfully what Paul's words look like and mean for them in the kind of governments that they live under. What does it mean to give to Caesar what is Caesar and God what is God's? Perhaps a good word for us in an election year. Um, I think it's safe to say we're going to have ample opportunity to practice what Paul commands us to practice. In this coming year, God's word is clear. As followers of Jesus, we are not to slander others ever, but we are to be considerate, gentle, and humble in all we say and do. Um, and it doesn't matter, I think Paul would say this, how others treat you. Um, and let me just take a moment to say, I know that you, many of you, probably all of us, have been treated severely unkindly at different times by different people, that there is an ache in our heart when we are not treated kindly and how difficult and hard that is to overcome. But we live for God. We live for the Lord who pours his kindness out. And so we know that God has asked us and encouraged us and gifts us with what we need to live kind lives in a world that often doesn't feel very kind to us. Um, our family will be heading to Egypt over spring break, 
and um, with the family mission team. And I'm looking forward to engaging with our brothers and sisters in Cairo. How do you live this out in a government that's very different than ours, for sure? Um, I'm, I'm thinking there's going to be some um, just intriguing wisdom that comes through those conversations with our fellow Christians. Um, that's going to be over spring break, but, but speaking of spring break, let me close with this story. A very clear memory of a particular spring break in college when a group of us from our Christian fellowship traveled to um, Elizabeth, New Jersey to do a week of service um, in that area. We were doing all kinds of things, but one thing in particular that was going on in the place where we were living during that week was there was a global missions conference that was taking place, and one of our service activities for the week was to serve dinner to missionaries um, from all over the world. And I will say that us, our little college group, um, did not really have the skills of what it takes to wait tables. So we were thrust into this um, serving opportunity um, and just had to learn as we went. And I remember being completely overwhelmed one night at dinner. I was serving several tables. Um, There was way too much to do. I was getting all the coffee orders wrong. Um, And I knew that because they were letting me know that. I was not doing a good job. I was at the end of my rope. I I did not want to be doing um, what I was doing. And I just felt about three inches tall and thought, this is no good. And in that moment, there was a, a gentleman sitting at the head table. And he must have seen that I was really struggling. And he looked up from his dinner and put aside his conversation, and he looked me in the eye, and he said with all gentleness, smiling, and very intently, Jennifer, you're doing a fantastic job. Thank you for serving us tonight. Now, I knew the name of that man because I had seen him several years before speaking at the Urbana Missions Conference. His name was Floyd McClung, and he had talked a lot about his mission work in Amsterdam. And in that moment, I will never forget what God did for my heart in that moment as Floyd was incredibly kind to me. I knew that that was not just a random act of kindness that he had chosen to, to lay on me that night. I knew that that kindness that he had given to me in that moment when I really needed it came from a heart that was saturated by the kindness and love and goodness of God. I will never forget that moment. I remember it like it was yesterday. It transformed my heart and I said, I wanna be like that. I wanna trust Christ in such a way that my life is able to pour into others what he just did for me. We all have moments, y'all, when somebody has stepped forward and been so kind to us when it, when it didn't make sense, when we were hurting, and we knew from the quality of that moment that it was God, that it was Jesus pouring himself into us through the heart of another. Floyd was Jesus for me that night, and I will never forget the transformation of that moment. So here's the thing. Jesus is not a model of niceness, inspiring us to be nicer people. Jesus is the very love and kindness of God who appears in our world and invites us to give him his, our hearts for a total transformation. Apart from the heart of Jesus, we have very limited capacity 
to be kind and generous and compassionate, especially for those who don't really like us. That will run out very quickly. Here's the good news. You cannot heal your unkind heart. You cannot heal your heart when it's been battered by unkindness from another. But you don't have to. Christ has done that work on the cross when he took our battered and bruised and broken hearts and put them up there so that he could give us a new heart that is gentle and alive and beats with the kindness and goodness of a God who loves this world right to the end of time. Does your heart know the heart of Jesus? We're gonna end our time by praying together today. And if you're here this morning and you have never known the kindness and gentleness of goodness and goodness of God in your life, this prayer is for you. I'm gonna invite you to pray right after me that you might know God's kindness today. And if you're in a place today where your heart is feeling far from God, feeling hardened or unkind or battered, and you would like your heart to be just a little closer to God today, this prayer is for you too. Those of you on live stream, feel free to pray with us. If you would like the ki- to experience the kindness of God, whether for the first time or the 500th time today, I'm gonna just invite you to close your eyes. Put your hands in a receptive position and open palms, just that posture that kind of opens us up to what the Spirit wants to give to us today. And I'm gonna invite you to pray this prayer after me. Let's pray. Jesus, I need to know your kindness to me today. I can't live this life on my own. I give you my cold and tired heart. Pour out your mercy, your kindness, your gentleness on me right now. Save me, Lord. I receive the love you have for me on this day. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening to the First Prez podcast. If you would like more information, you may visit our website at firstprezcos.org.